This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Let's begin tonight's entertainment by going to a show that had its inception in prison. Well, let me explain. Writer Jack Boyle grew up in Chicago. While working as a newspaper reporter in San Francisco, he became an opium addict. He was drawn into crime and was jailed for writing bad checks. Later convicted of robbery, Boyle was serving time in San Quentin when he created the character of Boston Blackie. Now, Boston Blackie is a jewel thief and safecracker, so it stands to reason that his stories would have a ring of authenticity to them. Actor Chester Morris was the best-known Blackie, playing the character in 14 Columbia Picture films and in a 1944 NBC radio series. He was one of four children of Broadway stage actor William Morris and stage comedian Etta Hawkins. He dropped out of school and began his Broadway career at 15 years of age, opposite Lionel Barrymore in The Copperhead. By the mid to late 30s, Morris's popularity had begun to wane. Uh, his career was revived, though, when he was cast as criminal-turned-detective Boston Blackie. He reprised the role of Boston Blackie for uh, the radio series in 1944. And during World War II, here's a little side note for you, Morris performed magic tricks in over 350 USO shows. He had been practicing magic since the age of 12 and was considered a top amateur magician. So let's go back to the night of July 14th of 1944 when the episode of Star of the Nile was first aired on Boston Blackie. Rinso, R-I-N-S-O, Soapy Rich Rinso presents Boston Blackie, starring Chester Morris. <laughs> what are you reading, Chief, little Abner? No, listen to this, Matthews. Special feature of the great gems exhibit at the famous Godet Jewelers will be the incomparable Star of the Nile Emerald. One of the most precious gems in the world. So precious that George Stevens, vice president of Godet's, is personally bringing the star to Chicago from Chicago to New York. <laughs> I don't get the joke, Chief. <laughs> sure you don't, because you don't know that Boston Blackie's on the same train with George Stevens. <laughs> <laughs> Chief, I don't get it. Well, if I know my Boston Blackie and to my great sorrow I do, he won't be able to resist a little gadget worth a cool 200 grand. I still don't see what's funny. Besides, <laughs> Blackie hasn't gone after sparklers in a long time. I know that, but I also know one thing that sparkles that's right up Blackie's alley. Yeah, what's that? Dame. Sure, Chief, but the star of the Nile ain't a dame. Yeah, but Helen Crew is. <laughs> 
Helen Carew? Yeah. Something's bound to happen on a train when it's carrying those three. George Stevens, Helen Carew, and Boston Black. Well, nobody has to lead Blackie to adventure because somehow adventure always seems to seek him out. And now, Chester Morris and the adventures of Boston Blackie. It's obvious that an international bank should be established for reconstruction. At the United Nations Monetary and Financial Conference held at Bretton Woods, certain preliminary steps were taken. However, it is only the beginning. Oh, I just When you realize that the International Monetary Fund will total around $8,500,000,000. But that's only the beginning. Yes, well, a small beginning. You know, I get kind of mixed up when I start counting over 850. <laughs> oh, young man, we'll all have to learn how to count in millions and billions in the post-war world. Well, that's very interesting. Oh, well, here you are, Stuart. I'd like some dessert. Can you take this sheet, Miss? Oh, thank you. Never mind the dessert, Stuart. Well, I'm finished. Uh, wouldn't you rather have this chair by the window? Thank you. And uh, good day to you, young man. Thanks for your company. Well, thanks to you for the tip on the international monetary situation. I can't wait to use it. Um, very interesting man. Oh, and very distinguished looking, too. Mm. Who is he? I don't know, but he's awfully good at counting. Is, um, is it all right if we talk? Why not? You see, my mother never told me not to talk to strangers on a train. <laughs> I like your mother. Very intelligent woman. <laughs> well, I'm no isolationist. But to make it proper, my name is Helen Carew. Oh, and mine is Boston Blackie. I've heard that name somewhere. Are you a baseball player? <laughs> no, why? Do you like baseball? No, not particularly. Well, uh, why did you bring up the subject? Oh, just to make conversation. Fine. Uh, let's talk about you. All right, let's. I'm a very pleased young lady on a train between Chicago and New York. Why are you pleased? Because I didn't expect conversation with my dinner. Well, do you realize that the International Monetary Fund will total about $8,500,000,000 this year? No. Yes. You see? <laughs> Uh-oh, it's back again. Excuse me, I've lost something. It can't be that $8,500,000,000. No, it was a chamois pouch. I don't see it. Now, wait. Oh, uh... I'd better get out of the way. It isn't here. Well, pardon me, sir. What did you lose? This is terrible. Terrible. Waiter. Waiter. Well, it sounds important. Young man, you have no idea how important. That pouch was worth $200,000. That's a lot of money to be carrying around. It wasn't money. It was an emerald. One of the most valuable gems in the world. The star of the Nile. What a pretty name. <laughs> I've been robbed. It was sometime during the dinner hour. The star of the Nile is missing. Okay, Mr. Stevens, I got that much from the telegram the conductor sent. Now, we'll search every passenger on the train if we have to, so calm down. Now, you say you thought you left it in the diner. Were you alone? No, a young man joined me for dinner, and then later, just before I left, a young lady was seated at our table. Mm -hmm. Friends of yours? Oh, no, just the people one meets on a train. Now, this young man, what was he like? Well, he was a clean-cut-looking chap with dark hair, a good build, nice smile. Mm, I'm not a bit surprised. And the young lady? Oh, quite attractive. As a matter of fact, the young man seemed rather taken with her. Well, Mr. Stevens, I don't think you have to worry about your star of the Nile. I might even say the situation is well in hand. Matthew should be here any moment now with the man we're looking for. Yeah. 
Here he is, Chief. Welcome, Boston Blackie. Welcome home. <laughs> Your new home. As a matter of fact, I've prepared a special escort to take you there. Well, now, how thoughtful, Inspector. But uh, <laughs> where's the brass band? All right, come off it, Blackie. Where's the emerald? This is a great shock to me, young man. Well, it's no shock to me, sir. I, I know my Faraday. He never fails. He never fails to be dead wrong. I'm sorry to disappoint you, Blackie. But we, you were in the diner with Mr. Stevens when the emerald disappeared. Mr. Stevens? I didn't even know that was his name. Oh, now, Blackie, as if you didn't know that Mr. Stevens was vice president of Godet's and that he was carrying the Star of the Nile to New York, as if you didn't read the papers. Of course I read the papers, Inspector, but I I was a little more interested in the fact that we'd just taken Can and Saipan. Okay, okay. Now you can tell me all about that at headquarters. Come on, Blackie. Now, look, Faraday, do you mind if I talk this over with Mr. Stevens? Whatever you have to say, you stay at headquarters. Come on. I'll be in touch with you, Inspector. Thanks again. Mm-hmm. Now, about that brass band, Blackie, I'll arrange to have one when we send you up the river. Oh, are you leaving, Mr. Blackie? Oh, oh, yes. Yes, my Uncle Faraday always brings the town car to meet me. Uncle Faraday, my aunt. Well, your Uncle Faraday must have a lot of influence. I wonder when the police are going to let the rest of us off the train. Well, Miss Carew, I'll see if I can use my influence. You see, he happens to be the police. Oh, uh, Uncle, meet Miss Carew. How do you do, Mr. Please, Faraday? Please, Tim you. I hope this fellow hasn't taken you in, too. Oh, no, Mr. Faraday. On the contrary, he's been very nice to me. Yeah, yeah, that's Blackie. Well, you might as well know, Miss Carew. He's being charged with the theft of the Star of the Nile. But that's impossible. Impossible? What do you mean, he- Miss Carew? Well, I was at the table when Mr. Stevens discovered his loss, and I'm sure that Mr. Blackie had nothing whatever to do with it. You haven't known him as long as I have, Miss Carew. You mean to tell me that Boston Blackie didn't do it? That's exactly what I mean. Well, thanks, Miss Carew, for telling the inspector something that he should have known. He usually goes the long way around. You helped him find the shortcut. <sighs> oh, you haven't gone yet, Inspector. No, I'm afraid we'll have to begin all over again, Mr. Stevens. What do you mean? Well, Miss Carew here has a strong alibi for Blackie, and I'm still looking for a loophole, but... Under the circumstances, I'm afraid I can't hold him. But you're going to do something about it, aren't you, Inspector? Well, after all, you were sure that the emerald must still be on the train. Well, that's right, Mr. Stevens, it is. That's what I tried to tell you before the inspector shut me up. Oh, so you know. Well, come on, Blackie, where is it? I didn't say I knew where. Uh, Mr. Stevens, you're rather absent-minded, aren't you? Absent-minded? Why, no. No, perhaps uh... I'm jumping to conclusions, but, uh, of course, if you remember, you left the diner without paying your bill. I did? Oh, not that I minded buying your dinner, Mr. Stevens, but... It occurred to me that if you were absent-minded enough to forget your dinner check, you uh, you also might have forgotten something else. How could I forget the Star of the Nile? I put it in my vest pocket just before I went into the diner. <laughs> oh. Oh, I, are you sure you put it in your vest pocket, Mr. Stevens? Yes, yes. Well, then the whole thing's solved. Oh. You know, all during dinner, I was envying you, Mr. Stevens. I really was. You looked so cool and comfortable in that sports jacket you were wearing, and... And you weren't wearing a vest, Mr. Stevens. I wasn't? Well, that's absurd. Now, now, wait a minute. Now, what's going on here? Vests, sports jackets. Come on, Blackie. Don't you remember, Mr. Stevens? Now, let me think. I, I, I lay down to take a nap just before dinner. Yeah. I got up and dressed and... By George, you're right. Oh. The emerald must be in the vest that I packed in my suitcase. <laughs> oh, Inspector, I'm terribly sorry to have caused you all this trouble. And you, young man, and uh, young lady. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Good day. <sighs> well, how do you like that? You seem to be disappointed, Inspector. Yeah. You know, if Boston Blackie can sit next to a guy in a train that's got something worth 200 grand and not do something about it, I guess it's time I turned in my bag. <laughs> well, you should have thought of that before, Inspector. Yeah. Just think. By now, you could have had a cottage, a couple of cows, a victory garden, instead of that pet ulcer of yours. Uh, by the way, what do you call it? Boston Blackie. What else? Why, Inspector, how sweet of you. Naming your first one after me. Oh. <laughs> 
Street off Lexington. <laughs> you don't miss a thing, do you, Mr. Blake? Well, I uh, I have a great appreciation for beautiful things. Oh, then you must have seen the Star of the Nile. Star of the Nile? Mm-hmm. I was talking about beautiful things, uh, such as, well, the dessert I had for dinner last night. Oh, <laughs> I was just marveling at how clever you were, helping Mr. Stevens to find his emerald. Well, it isn't hard to find something that was never lost, Miss Guru. And uh, incidentally, thanks for putting in a good word for me with the inspector. Oh, don't mention it. By the way, mm-hmm. I'll, uh, I'll bet there's another thing your mother forgot to warn you about. Oh? Accepting dinner invitations from a young man in a taxi cab. <laughs> I told you not to disturb me, Miss Everett. I'm too busy to see... Oh, who are you? Louis. Louis? Yeah. Miller said you wanted to see me. Oh, uh, oh yes, Mr. Louis. Uh, won't you sit down? Now, look, let's get this straight, Mr. Stevens. I don't know you, but Miller said you had a job for a guy with uh, fingers. Well, I wouldn't exactly put it that way, Mr. Louis. And another Louis. thing, Mr. Stevens. This is strictly business. Miller says you want me to open up a safe down at Godet's and lift a hunk of jewelry. Well, now... Uh... And what's more, Mr. Stevens? I know you're vice president of Godet's. That's your business, but it ain't mine. And if you're worrying about what might happen, you're in a swell spot. After all, who'd the judge believe, me or you? Well, I'm glad we understand each other, Mr. Louis. The emerald has already been deposited in the Godet vault, and since the exhibit will open tomorrow, there's no reason for any further delay. Blackie, did you hear me calling you? Well, vaguely. To be honest with you, Shorty, I had my mind on somebody else. Well, boss, I just heard something I thought you'd be interested in. Yeah? You know, you were telling me about that emerald mixed up on the train? Yeah. Well, I just got a tip, see? Somebody's going to crack the Godet safe for that emerald. When? Midnight. How straight was this tip, Shorty? A very reliable tip, boss. Uh, a fingers told me. Fingers? Oh, that's too big a job for him. He's only got ten. Well, that's what the man said. He said that. That small-time safe cracker. I guess I'd better go down and help him out. But uh, before business, pleasure. Well, for once, Miss Carew, I can't blame Faraday. After all, he, he brought us together. Brought us together? Yes. What do you mean? Well, if he hadn't accused me, you wouldn't have had the opportunity to vouch for me. And, well, I wouldn't have had the opportunity to show you my appreciation. Oh, I see. Well, the whole thing was a little silly anyway. Oh, well, not altogether. Faraday has the memory of an elephant and the persistence of a little beaver. And looks like both of them. <laughs> if anything happens, it's got to be Boston Blackie. Oh, that's a nuisance, isn't it? Oh, I don't know. Faraday hounds me, but it's good to have him around at the wind-up. Blackie, I don't quite make you out, but I like you. Thanks. I, uh, I hope that's an understatement. Well, I'm surprised the police are so suspicious of you. Oh, that's the story of my life. You see, Faraday has good instincts, only he picks the wrong person. If he knew, for instance, that tonight I may have something to do with robbing a vault, he'd become suspicious right away. But of course you haven't anything to do with that. But of course I have. Only it's not as bad as it sounds. Oh, now I'm really puzzled. Well, the only puzzle is, uh, 
Why don't I spend the rest of the evening with you? Meaning that you have to leave? Meaning that I have an important conference about something green and something Egyptian. Oh, I see. But like this thing, she won't talk. Perhaps I'll have something to tell you later. I'll get your coat. Oh, thanks. I have to phone. But don't make any dates for the next month. (laughs) I want to put in my bid first. Hello? Operator, give me Madison 72772. Hello? Inspector, this is Helen Carew. I just had dinner with Boston Blackie. We're leaving now. He's dropping me off at my hotel. He's going down to go days. He's after the emeralds. And, Inspector, if you should happen to catch him, please don't mention me. Boston Blackie, unaware that Helen Carew has tipped off Inspector Faraday as to his destination, is en route to Godet's Jewelers to try to prevent the robbery of the vault there and to discover who is back of the attempt to steal the famous Star of the Nile emerald. It is midnight at the Godet Vault. It's no use, Louis. It's one of them new style vaults. I can't make it out. Now well, we got dynamite. I have to use it. I don't like a noisy job, but where is it? I left it out in the alley, please. Now go get it. Okay, I'm going. Try again, Fingers. Stevens is paying off plenty. Well, I'm nervous. This is a big job, boss. <laughs> Too big for you, fuckers. Okay, stay where you are. Boston Black. That's right. What were you saying about a certain Mr. Stevens? <laughs> now, look, Lucky, let's be sensible about this. Well, we're having a little trouble cracking this crib. Yeah. I'll make a memo. Yeah, I bet you little... can't open it. Are you kidding, fingers? I'll make a good bet. All right. So it'll pay you to try. Well, I'll make a bet with you. Not the kind of a bet that'll pay you in money, but it might save a few years of your life. Yeah? Yeah, all you have to do is talk. Yeah, we'll talk, Blackie. And drop your rod first. Oh, so you got a little playmate. Okay, take your gun away from my back. Get it, Louie. I get it. You know, Blackie, this is a happy coincidence. As I said before, we can use you. Only now that bet's off. We're just gonna do it. Come on, get those fingers working. And, uh, and suppose these fingers can't open the vault. And the next time you go to buy gloves, you better look for mittens. <laughs> Come on, take a good look at the crib. Oh, a beautiful job. <laughs> you know, Faraday should see me now. <laughs> okay. Stand back and keep quiet. Yeah, we'll be quiet, all right, but it's up to you, Blackie. This gun can make a lot of noise. Shh. Wait a minute. It feels like, uh... Ah, there's one. Now let's try this. Uh-huh, next one. Oh, now that's two. Now... Hold it up! Hold it up! Let's go down! Come on, it's Yeah, Miller, is the alley door open? Yeah, Joe's coloring out there. Okay, let's see this. Now, what about Blackie? Ah, forget about Blackie. Come on. Okay, okay. Hey! There you go, Chief! Stop, Blackie, you want to shoot? I warned you, Blackie. Hey, this isn't Blackie. Hey, who are these other two? Oh, Louie, huh? Yeah, Fingers and Miller. Hey, what is this, a national convention? Where's Blackie? How'd you know Blackie was going to be down there, Faraday? Little Bird told me, but where is he? Well, now, I don't expect you to believe this, Inspector, but so help me. We were passing by the alley, and we heard a noise, and we come in. Naturally curious, you understand? Yeah. And who do you suppose was starting to crack that vault? Don't tell me, Boston Blackie. Yeah. Well, then, what are we doing out here in the alley? He couldn't have gotten away. Yeah, Chief, there's only two doors to that room. We came through this one. So he better be back in that vault room. That's right. Eddie, watch these mugs here. Right. Come on, Matthews. Let's have a look. It ain't in here, Chief. ain't in here. Oh, I can see for myself, Matthews. I can see for myself. Must have slipped through the door before we came in. 
Matthews, you're fired. Me chief, I ain't done nothing. That's the trouble. You never do anything. Now, see if the vault's open, Matthews. Okay, chief. Now, lock tight in the drum. Give me a mark on it. Looks like we saved the emerald for go days, huh, Inspector? Yeah, but I wish somebody had saved Blackie for me. Matthews, I hate to say it, but we gave Blackie a break. We came in just in time to save him from getting into trouble. I just wanted to thank you, Inspector, for preventing the robbery last night and catching the thieves. Don't mention it, Mr. Stevens. Uh, tell me, did they have a chance to open the vault? Nope. We were Johnny on the spot. They never even got started. Well, Inspector, I can't thank you enough for the fine job you've done. Mm, fine job. Nothing ever happens. Nobody steals anything. Listen, Mr. Stevens, if somebody should steal that emerald and I catch him, then you can thank me. <laughs> what burns me up is that Boston Blackie was down there, too, but he got away. Boston Blackie? He got away? Are yeah. you sure the vault wasn't open? Sure, we tried it. It was locked tight. Well, that's fine, but uh, to be on the safe side, I'd better check up. I'll go right down to the vault myself. Well, I tell you, Faraday, it's gone. The emerald's gone. I just searched the vault. It's gone. That's great. I've really got Boston Blackie now. Don't worry, Mr. Stevens. Calm down. You'll get your star, and I'll get Boston Blackie. So that's what happened, Helen. Faraday collected three mugs, and he didn't seem pleased about but it. Blackie, how did you get out? Well, while Faraday was rounding up the other mugs, I got the last number of the vault's combination, you see. Mm-hmm. I opened the door and stepped in and then closed it. But you might have been locked in. I was locked in, fortunately, because somebody tried the handle of the vault later. Mm. You see, Helen, modern vaults have an anti-hold-up device. Well, what's that? Oh, it's a sort of gimmick that locks the door from the inside. Mm-hmm. Well, I just pushed the lever. After they left, I slipped out through the alley door. What were you after, Blackie? I told you before. Something green and something Egyptian. The Star of the Nile Emerald, of course. Did you find it in the vault? Yes. Oh. But I didn't take it. I just wanted to make sure it was there. You didn't take it. Blackie, I don't understand you. Now, look, somebody's after the Star of the Nile, and if he gets it, somebody's going to take the rap for it. Could be me, but that's not the point. Nobody's going to take a rap for somebody else while I'm around. You're talking about somebody. Who? I'll find that out. But first, I want to have a talk with Mr. Stevens at his hotel. Perhaps he has an idea. Goodbye, Helen. Next time, I promise you, we won't have any outside interference. Operator, give me Madison 72772. Hello? Helen Carew speaking. Oh, the inspector isn't there? Well, then I want to leave a message. Tell him that Boston Blackie is on his way to the Cavanaugh Hotel to see Mr. Stevens. I can't wait for the inspector to call back, so tell him I'm going to see Stevens, too, right now. But try to get the inspector there as quickly as you can. <laughs> Slow down there. Okay, you can march in step with me and Matthews now. You're taking your afternoon constitutional, gentlemen? What were you doing back there at the Middleton apartment, Blackie? Now, Inspector, you're privileged to know anything about my public life. Mm-hmm. But I insist that you don't interfere in my private affairs. Hmm. Well, this is a little private affair that I am interfering in. Oh. You're under arrest for stealing the Star of the Nile. What, again? And no alibi this time, either. You were down at the Good Day Vault with Louie and the two other guys. I got them and searched them, but you got away. Now, somebody got that emerald out of the vault. Come on. Shake a leg, Blackie. Hey, I didn't say stop. I said go. Police! Police! I've been robbed. You have? Who robbed? Have you gone nuts, Blackie? Let me go! Police! Oh, cut it out. What is it? Help me! Now, I'm waiting. Let me go. 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 Let me go
Listen, you won't really give it to me. Hey, Jeremy, he's me. Oh, he, he's gone. Matthews, why don't you help me out of this mob? Hey, folks, look, I'm a police inspector. Honest, I am. Matthews, quick, shoot it back in. Hey, listen, all of you, stand back. Lay off that fella. He's a police. That's Matthews. He's police, too. Thanks, Chief. Say, did Blackie get away? Yeah. Matthews, you're fired. Sure, he was coming here, Mr. Stevens. Miss Carew, why should Mr. Blackie come to see me at my hotel? Besides, I'm confident that by this time, Inspector Faraday has made sure that the young man is no longer a free agent. Perhaps, yes. Perhaps you're right. But well, I'm not sure the inspector is right in what he's doing. Well, now, Miss Carew, it's quite obvious that you have an attachment for Mr. Blackie. And if the police have taken him, I won't have to worry about the star of the Nile any longer. But the police haven't taken me, Mr. Stevens. Boston Blackie. And incidentally, if I knew how much the star of the Nile would be worth to you, I, uh... I might listen to reason. Blackie. Hello, Miss Carew. I rather expected you'd be here, too. I wouldn't try to phone, Mr. Stevens. You really don't want the police to come up here. Why not? Because it would be very embarrassing for you. And besides, it would be very embarrassing if I had to use this gun. Blackie, look. Oh, Helen, don't. Helen, why did you knock the gun out of my hand? Because you had me fooled for a while, but I'm finally beginning to understand you, Blackie. All right, the two of you stand still. Put your hands up high. Oh, so you have a gun, too, Mr. Stevens. Is, uh... Is that to guard the emerald you stole from your own vault? Mr. Stevens took the emerald? Yes. Usually when people want to steal something, they just steal it. But Mr. Stevens had to do it the hard way. But you made it much easier for me, Mr. Blackie. You see, you were in the vault, and now everybody will know that Boston Blackie stole the emerald. But just one thing I'd like to know, Mr. Stevens. Why does a vice president of a large firm like Godet's have to steal a piece of jewelry? Well, there's an ugly word for it, embezzlement. I'm awfully oh. sorry, Miss Carew. Sorry that you came here tonight because no one else can know what you two know now. I'm going to have to kill you. Come on, Stevens. Give me that gun. Stay where you are. I want that gun, Stevens. Blackie, don't. I told you to stay where you are. Look, you can't pull that trigger. Get back. Get back. Thanks, Helen, for sending the message. Yeah, Inspector, I think Mr. Stevens will go with you now. Oh, Stevens? Yes, Inspector. And thanks for putting Helen on this case. We've got your man. Come on. Let's go. No, I won't go. I can't go. I've gone long enough. I can never catch up. For years now, I've been running after myself, running away from something. I couldn't stop. But I've got to stop. You'll never get me, I tell you. I've got to stop. Well, we got what we were looking for, but I can't say I'm very happy about it. Faraday, this time I've really got to thank you. <laughs> Don't kid me, Blackie. No, on the level. You saved my life. <laughs> you know, it's the first time in ten years that I've been scared. Really? Well, you know, Stevens might have pulled that trigger. No such luck. Oh, very funny. <laughs> yes, he'd have shot Helen and me if you hadn't knocked on the door. He had only one other way out, Faraday, and because you came in, he took that way. <laughs> Always blaming it on me, huh? <laughs> now, look, Inspector, won't you miss me a teeny little bit? Does a guy miss a headache? <laughs> <laughs> you know, Helen, you really had me fooled. Hmm? Well, let me give you a tip. The next time you call Madison 72772, you better be inside a telephone booth. What? Remember when we were out for dinner the first time? Yeah. Well, I went to get your coat, and as I was leaving, I heard you ask the operator for Madison 72772. My private number. Sure. Only a few people know that number, and I'm proud to be one of them. So you knew I was working for the inspection. Sure, but that didn't matter. You already had your hooks in me, and I couldn't get loose. Well, perhaps now you'd like me to unhook you? Oh, honey, with you, anything goes. By hook or by crook. And now a glimpse at next week's adventure of Boston Blackie. Here it goes. 
What a crackle. Them plainclothes cops in that car, they never going to interrupt another one of our hijack jobs. Plainclothes cops? <laughs> they ain't no cops. The driver of the car that just wrapped around a telephone pole is Boston Blackie. <laughs> Friends, millions of tons of paper are needed to ship ammunition and blood plasma, so vitally necessary in the winning of this war. Do your share to see that our boys get the material they need. Save paper. The need is terribly urgent. Now, one simple way to help is to take your own shopping bag to the grocers. Be sure to listen in at this same time next week for another exciting adventure with Boston Blackie. You can see Chester Morris as Boston Blackie on the screen at your favorite movie theater. Boston Blackie's latest Columbia picture is One Mysterious Night, soon to be released. Richard Lane appears as Inspector Faraday. Music by Charles Cornell. This is Harlow Wilcox saying goodnight for Boston Blackie, brought to you by the makers of Rinso, the soap that gets clothes. <laughs> Stay tuned for Challenge of the Yukon, next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for Sergeant Preston and his dog King in another exciting story of life in the far north, Challenge of the Yukon. Now, as gunshots echo across the windswept, snow-covered reaches of the wild northwest, Quaker Pup Wheat and Quaker Pup Rice, the breakfast cereal shot from guns, present... The Challenge of the Yukon. It's Yukon King, swiftest and strongest lead dog of the Northwest, blazing the trail for Sergeant Preston of the Northwest Mounted Police in his relentless pursuit of lawbreakers. One king, one, you huskies. Gold, gold discovered in the Yukon, a stampede to the Klondike in the wild race for riches. Back to the days of the gold rush. With Quaker Pup Wheat and Quaker Pup Rice... Bringing you the adventures of Sergeant Preston and his wonder dog, Yukon King, as they meet the challenge of the Yukon. <laughs> Fellas and girls, I'll bet there isn't a single one of you who doesn't like dogs, or that doesn't envy Sergeant Preston, his wonder dog and loyal companion, King. What's more, Maybe you've your own dog who is dear to your heart. Or maybe you'd like to own a dog someday. Well, if you like dogs, whatever you do, keep listening. Quaker Puffed Wheat and Quaker Puffed Rice, the swell-tasting breakfast cereal shot from guns, brings you an almost unbelievable offer in just a few minutes. The old man was dying. There was no doubt about that. But there was still a vital spark in the gray eyes beneath the bushy eyebrows. He made an impatient gesture with his left hand. Here. Here, Torrance. Push another pillow in back of me so I can sit up and read. Well, of course, Josh. <coughs> yeah, how's that? Yeah, it'll, it'll do. Now stand aside so I can see Jenkins. The will's all ready for your signature, Mr. Wilson. Who, who's that standing over in the corner? Tom Langdon, Josh. Torrance said I was to come in and be a witness. Oh, all right. You you got everything the way I told you, Jenkins? Yes, sir. 
Do you want me to read it to you? I can still read. Give it to me. Yes, sir. I don't know anything about that niece and nephew of mine, but I made my fortune in the Yukon, and if the Yukon's too good for them, then they can't have any part of it. It's all just as you told me, sir. They must claim their inheritance in person in Dawson before May 31st of next year. Yeah, I see. They'll have to make the winter trek from Skagway. It'll do them good. Show them what their uncle went through. Make them appreciate what they're getting. If the trail's too tough for them, they don't deserve any sourdough money. Yeah. Yeah, well, what's all, what's all this small writing down at the bottom? Oh, that's just in case the Martin boy and girl don't fulfill your terms. It sets up the hospital trust with Mr. Torrance as the executor. I can't read it. Well, it's exactly as we talked about. All right, I'm not interested. If my kin don't deserve the mine, I don't care where it goes. Give me a pen. Here, Here, sir. There. Thank you, Mr. Wilson. For what? You sign right here, Mr. Torrance. I see. Now, Mr. Langdon. All right. You, you don't mind my not leaving you anything, do you, Tom? What do I need with money? <laughs> I thought that's the way you'd feel about it. You'd rather trap than mine. Still, you're about the only friend I've got. Take care of the young ones for me. Hey, I will, George. And you do a good job of running the mine for them, Torrance. Why, of course I will. Thank you, Mr. Langdon. Well, that about concludes our business, Mr. Wilson. No doubt about it. You and Torrance clear out. Yes, Mr. Wilson. Tom? Yes? Sit here beside me. And we'll, we'll talk about old times. Yes, George. It was shortly after that that the old man dropped into a sleep from which he never woke. And the following day, Mike Torrance appeared in Silas Jenkins' law office. Now, just take the precaution of locking the door. Then we can be sure no one will interrupt us. Sit down, Mike. Yeah. Are you sure everything's okay? Would you like to see the will? Uh, Yes. All right. Here you are. Hey, I didn't get much of a chance to look at it while I was signing my name yesterday. (laughs) Oh, and neither did Mr. Langdon, you can be sure of that. Yeah, but the old man might have caught you up. I made the writing in the last clause very small purposely. And after all, it was very simple, mere matter of leaving out a few words. Mm, The old man had been stronger, though. We counted on his condition, didn't we? Now, if the boy and girl don't appear in Dawson before the last of May, the mine will go to you. And there's no reason why they should appear. Because, of course, they'll never be notified. (laughs) It's safe to say the property will be yours and mine. I believe I deserve my share. Well, there's still a chance things might go wrong. How? Well, Langdon... He knows the old man didn't intend to leave anything to me. The will is perfectly in order. It can't be broken. Yeah, but what if he gets word to the Martin kids? That was left in my hands. Well, just as Watch him by all means, Mike. Make sure he doesn't do anything to interfere with our plans. I will. You can depend on that. But two months later, Torrance paid another visit to Jenkins' office. And this time, his face was twisted with anger. What's the matter with you, Torrance? Everything. That fool of a Johnson. Control yourself. I told him to make sure, to make absolutely sure. Keep your voice down. Now tell me what's happened. You heard Johnson yourself. He said he followed Langdon back to his cabin in the mountains. Of course. Right after the funeral. Well, Langdon didn't stay there. 
Red Gannon's just back from Skagway, and you saw him get on board the Northern Pride. He's on his way to Seattle. He's here by now. Wait, wait, you're sure of this? Red saw him. I still say control yourself. There are people passing outside. But he's gone after those cursed kids. He'll bring them back with him. It's a long way from Seattle to Dawson, Mike. Well, it's only the end of March. They'll have plenty of time to make it. There are ways of stopping them. Huh? And Red might be the man to do it. No, we can afford to hire more than one man, Mike. Get half a dozen. Pay them well. To do what? To go to Skagway. To wait there. To watch for Tom Langdon and Ted and Mary Martin. And if they show up, to stop them from getting any farther. Skagway's a rough town. Should be easy to stop them there. And if not, there are 650 miles of the most dangerous trail in the world between Skagway and Dawson. Red and the men you hire will have plenty of opportunity. To kill them? To keep them from reaching here by the end of May. (laughs) We'll just let Red use his own methods. Yeah. He'll do it. I'll offer him a thousand dollars. He's killed men for less than that. The Northern Pride docked at Skagway on the 20th of April. And standing on the deck where they would be the first down the gangplank were Tom Langdon and Ted and Mary Lou Martin. Are we really in the Yukon? Well, not yet, Ted. But I left my team in town. We'll be through White Pass by tomorrow. Then you'll be in the territory. They're getting ready to lower the gangplank. Uh, stay close behind me, you two. I don't want to lose you in that crowd on the dock. Oh, don't you worry. The old trapper led the way down the gangplank. Just as he stepped onto a dock, a shot rang up. Oh. Oh. Uncle Tom! He's been shot. Help! Help somebody! Uncle Tom! Where are you hit? My leg. I'm not done for, not by a long ways. But I may be laid up for a while. Now, I don't want you to stop here with me. I want you to go on. Why? Why, what are you talking about? Somebody help me lift him and carry him over to that building. I'll give you a hand with him. Go on. Oh, he's fainted. Right, easy now. As if we dream of leaving him. It was a week later that Sergeant Preston, on duty at the Northwest Mounted Post at White Pass, saw a dog team struggling up the slope toward the summit. Yes, King, I see. Harness is tangled. Come on, boy, we'll straighten it out. I'll tangle up, Ted. We'll have to straighten out the traces. I'll do that. Sergeant Preston. Tom Langdon, what's the matter with you? Why are you riding the sled? Well, I was shot in the leg down the Skagway. But it's all right now. I want you to meet Ted and Mary Martin. How do you do, sir? They're Josh Wilson's niece and nephew. They're on the way up to Dawson. But Josh is dead. Yes, I know. I got quite a story to tell you. Oh, I can wait till we get to the customs house. Let me take over, Ted, and we'll have you there in no time. Make the team behave while I go to work on the harness, King. The team was untangled, and King broke the trail for them up to the custom house. There, Tom was carried inside and made comfortable near the stove. And there, he told his story. I realized there wasn't any mention of the hospital in that will at all. And if Mary and Ted didn't get the mine, Torrance would. I'd never liked him, never trusted him. So I just decided to get down to Seattle and bring the kids back myself. Ted, uh, you received no notice of your uncle's death. Not until Uncle Tom arrived. Who shot you down in Skagway, Tom? They couldn't find him. Well, there was a crowd on the dock. I did see Red Gagnon down there while we were still on deck. He's been on Torrance's payroll from time to time. You think he may have done it? 
Well, it's possible. But the important thing is to get these kids to Dawson before the 31st of May. Is it too late, Sergeant? I don't know. You shouldn't have stayed with me, kids. We couldn't leave you alone. There's still a month. Yes, but the trail's in terrible condition. Once you got down to the level of the lakes, the snow's slushy and the ice is rotten. But the lakes haven't broken up yet. No, and if you wait for them to be free of ice and travel by boat all the way, well, there'd be no chance of making it in time. They've got to, Sergeant. Well, just a minute, I'm thinking. Well? It'll be dangerous. What have you got in mind? You'll stay here, Tom. No, no. I can't let them go on alone. I'll go with them instead. Now, listen. We'll travel across the ice on Lake Bennett and Tagish and Marsh Lake until we get to the 50-mile river. There's open water in Miles Canyon. We'll have to portage around it. Yeah? Below the canyon, we'll have to hope the ice will still hold us so we can cross over the left bank. We'll follow the trail along the White Horse Rapids to Lake Labarge. I'll pick up a canoe there. The 30-mile river's open. So is the Lewis and the Yukon. If you can get to Lake Labarge... If. That's the big question. If the ice will hold us below Miles Canyon. We must get over to the left bank there or we'll be held up for days. Ted, Mary... How soon can you start? Anytime. Right away. As soon as I harness my team, then. Let's go, King. We'll continue our story in just a moment. Boy, oh boy, just look at Oh, gee, they're out of this world. Yes, kids, how would you like to own a complete set of 35 different dog picture cards like these? Oh, gosh, would I ever? Oh, me too. Their official challenge of the Yukon dog picture cards. Why, they're better than any trading cards I've ever seen. And they're stiff back. And just feel them. They're the same shiny finish as game cards. And say... Just look at these dogs. Billy, those are real photographs in full color. And every single dog is a real dog. And they're brand new photographs, too. Oh, gosh. I've never seen anything so pretty as this Irish setter. He's champion Charles River Color Sergeant. Voted best in show at the recent ninth Annual International Kennel Club Dog Show in Chicago. Boy, I like that Irish wolfhound. Billy, did you know this breed is the world's biggest dog? Standing on his legs, he reaches over six feet high. Here, look. On the back of every card, Sergeant Preston gives a description of each dog. Gosh, it says on this card that the Chihuahua weighs as little as one pound. Why, you could hold him right in the palm of your hand. Hey, look it. Here's King. Gosh, what a dog. Oh, boy. What I would give to own a dog like that. (laughs) Well, kids, it's so easy to get these Challenge of the Yukon dog picture cards. Nothing to it. And they don't cost you a single extra penny. Look, here's all you do. Get to your grocer. Buy Quaker puffed wheat and Quaker puffed rice. Oh, gosh, they're my favorite cereal. Well, inside each package, you'll find two cards like these. Two cards? Right, Billy. Not one, but two dog picture cards. Gee, if we got two packages, one of each kind, we'd have four different cards. Right, Sandra, quick as a wink. Boy, I'm wasting no time. I'm starting my collection right now. Yes, there's no waiting, no delay, nothing to send in, no money, no box stops. Simply go to your grocer. Ask for Quaker puffed wheat and Quaker puffed rice. Inside each package, get two keen dog picture cards. There are 35 different cards in all. Get the entire set. They're new, they're different, and you can get them only with Quaker puffed wheat and Quaker puffed rice. Save them, trade them. It's easy, it's fun. Now to continue our story. 
Half an hour after Sergeant Preston had made his decision to escort the Martin boy and girl to Dawson, the little party was on the trail. Mary rode the sled, and Ted helped the sergeant control his descent from the top of the pass. King was working as a loose lead, breaking the trail for the team. Night had fallen by the time they reached the shores of Lake Bennett. Oh, looking, Hello! You gonna make camp here, Sergeant? Only long enough to eat. You tired, Mary? No, Sergeant. Just a little cold. I got a fire started. It was spring when we left home. Now it's winter again. It's the beginning of spring up here. Notice how soft the snow is? Yes, but the lake's still frozen. The ice isn't to be trusted. I wouldn't attempt crossing it without King in the lead. However, it's better at night than during the day, and that's why we're going to keep on. There'll be a moon and the northern lights will rest in the morning. Now, uh, how about helping me get some wood, Ted? Sure thing. Oh, of course, King. You can come along, boy. Supper was eaten, and as the moon rose, they started out again, across the frozen surface of the lake. It was nothing like travel during the middle of the winter when King would have set a steady six-mile-hour pace directly ahead. Now he moved slowly, testing every foot of ice, realizing that it must not only carry his own weight, but the weight of the sled and the men behind him. Sometimes he kept close to the shore. At others, he avoided it. Often he reversed his course swiftly as an ominous cracking and rumbling explained the reason. Oh. All right, Mary. But it sounds as if the ice were breaking up. Behind us, not ahead. The great dog brought them through, across Lake Bennett, across Lake Tagish and Marsh Lake, and on to the 50-mile river. But what would have been a day's travel in winter took them nearly a week. And then, as they were nearing Miles Canyon, disaster struck. What's the matter, boy? He's stopping. He looks as if he wants to head for shore, but he won't. Why not? There's your answer. The ice is cracking up ahead of us. It's cracking up all around us. Now don't try to move. King knows what's best. Daddy does it. That's open water ahead, Sergeant. I can see water behind us, too. Well, this piece of ice we're on is moving. Steady, it's thick enough to hold us. But won't it break up sooner or later? Look at the way the current's taking us. Toward the shore. Yes, and the ice is still solid there. We'll break up when we hit it. I'll have to move fast, Ted. Watch King and be ready to give me a hand with that sled. We're going to hit! The ice flow ground into the solid shore ice. King and the dogs leaped forward. Oh, Ted! The sergeant and Ted put their shoulders to the sled. And a moment later, they had reached solid ground on the bank. Dear, that was a close one. The king slipped for once. Oh, Ted, he's been trying to reach this bank ever since we entered the river. Why? What's the matter with the left bank? Look ahead there. See the cliffs on either side? That's Miles Canyon. The only land trail around it's on this side. He knew that? He knows the Yukon Vale better than I do. Now what do we do? Rest a little while, and then Ted and I'll pack our supplies on our backs. You'll have to make the portage on foot, Mary. I'm not tired at all. What's beyond the portage? We have to cross the river again. But how? You must hope the ice hasn't gone below the canyon. Oh, but it must have. No, not necessarily. The river doesn't flow as swiftly down below. But the sooner we get there, the better. The portage was made. And when they stood on the banks of the river once again below the canyon, the sergeant tested the ice. It's covered with water, sergeant. Yes, about a foot deep and the ice is rotten. I honestly don't know. I'll have to leave it up to King. How about it, boy? Will it hold us? Shall we go on? On, King? The great dog understood. It was a familiar command, but this time it was phrased as a question, and he was ready with the answer. He started across the river, and the team followed him as a matter of course. Here we go. You first, Mary. All right. Ooh, cold. We got a fire lighted as soon as we hit the other side. 
It was a dangerous crossing. The ice was rotten, but they reached the other side of the river. It would have been impossible half an hour later, for as they were drying their mucklocks and warming their feet, the breakup came. There she goes. Wow. Are we lucky? We're lucky to have King with us. Good work, fella. I guess you know who's really in charge here, don't you? You'll take care of us, won't you, King? They followed the trail along the banks of the White Horse Rapids to Lake LaBarge and the northwest mounted post on its shores. There, the sergeant arranged to leave his sled and his team and to borrow a canoe. But the constable in charge of the post had some disturbing news. I wish we'd known about this day before yesterday. Known about what? That Red Ganyon was suspected of shooting Langdon and Skagway. No real evidence against him. No, but at least we could have held him for questioning. Held him? That's what I mean. He and five other men have been camping near the end of the lake. They bought a boat, and when the ice in 30 Mile broke up, they started out. Day before yesterday. Well, if Tom's guess was correct, and Torrance has hired Red to keep Ted and Mary from reaching Dawson and He time. may be waiting for you somewhere along the river. He may run into an ambush. Could be. We'll be warned, though. What? How? King's traveling with us. Ganyon would like nothing better than to put a bullet through you. We'll keep a sharp lookout, won't we, King? <laughs> following morning, the sergeant and King, Ted and Mary, climbed into their canoe and started down the 30-mile river. The current was swift, and big black boulders rose menacingly above the surface of the water. Only the sergeant's strength and skill kept the fragile craft from crashing into them. There's some more rocks on your left, sergeant. Yes, I see. You keep that rifle ready and watch the bank. Remember what I told you about Red Ganyon. I'm watching. On and on they raced with the stream. The days passed. The Lewis was left behind, and now they had reached the broad sweep of the Yukon River, past Selkirk and on to Stewart. But time was growing short, and the sergeant and Ted paddled hard from dawn to dusk. It was the 27th of May, then the 28th, then the 29th. And when they made camp that night, the sergeant knew it would be the last time he would have a chance to sleep until Dawson was reached. Ted and Mary might be able to sleep in the canoe, but he would have to keep paddling steadily if Dawson were to be reached by midnight of the 31st. King was sleeping near his master, but as always, even though his eyes were closed, his senses seemed to be alert to danger. He suddenly woke up, growling. There was nothing to be seen beyond the campfire except the canoe drawn up on the beach, but King knew there was someone close, some stranger. Then the great dog saw a shadowy figure moving swiftly toward the canoe. King leaped up and raced toward the water's edge. There was a flash of steel in the moonlight. The man was carrying an axe. He raised it high and was about to smash the fragile hull when King hit him. The axe was knocked from the man's grasp and slid down to the water's edge. King! What is it, Sergeant? What's happened? Someone down by our canoe. King's caught him. Take him off me! Take him off! All right, King, I've got him covered. Get up, you. At the sergeant's command, the great dog allowed the man to get up. Then he raced down to the water to retrieve the axe. Uh, I was just walking along. I wasn't doing anything. What's that you've got, King? An axe. It isn't mine. Don't lie. March. Up to the campfire. I wasn't doing anything, sergeant. King didn't give you a chance. March. Who is it, sergeant? His name is Steve Sykes. I'm putting him under arrest for shooting Tom Langdon. Oh, you know better than that, Sergeant. You know it wasn't me. You were with Red Ganyon when he fired the shot. Yeah, yeah, but that doesn't make me responsible. Where is Red? He went on. And left you behind to try to stop us? I didn't know you were with these kids, Sergeant. Answer me. You were left behind to try to stop us? I wasn't going to hurt you or the kids any. But you knew if you put a hole in that canoe, it'd be worth a fortune to Mike Torrance. I don't know anything about Mike Torrance. Steve, 
You've got just one chance to keep out of jail, and that's to come clean. All right, Sergeant. I'll tell you anything you want to know, anything I can tell you. The first thing is I lied about Red. He hasn't gone on? No, our camp's on the point in the woods about a half mile from here. We saw you stopping this afternoon. You sent me to wreck your boat, that's true, but if I didn't manage it, why... Well, tomorrow you'd never have got past the point. So Red is still ready to commit murder to stop us. Yeah. You're going to lead me to his camp, Steve. All right. That's the way you want it. You want me to come too, Sergeant? No, Ted. Wait here for ten minutes. And I want you and Mary to get in the canoe and paddle to the other side of the river. Get as close to the bank as you can and let the current carry you down past the point. This man said they'd shoot at us. By the time you're opposite the point, I'll either have made my arrest or Red and his men will be so occupied with the woods behind them, they won't be able to watch the river. Do you think there'll be a fight? There may be. Maybe that Red will win. But even if he does, you and Mary will be out of his reach. If you keep at it, you'll make Dawson in time. We will. But you, Sergeant... This is all part of my job, Mary. Come on, Steve. Quiet, King. Our only chance is to take them by surprise. Two days passed. And at ten minutes of twelve on the night of the 31st, Mike Torrance and Silas Jenkins were together in the lawyer's office on Front Street, preparing to celebrate their inheritance. How about a drink, Mike? I'll wait till twelve before I drink... Why, you don't think anything can go wrong now. I'll wait. (laughs) I wonder when we'll hear about the accident. What accident? Why, the one that Red arranged. Wonder how he managed it. Who's that? No idea. It could be Red. Take a look out the window and see before you unlock the door. Right. Well, it's a young fellow and a girl. Who are they? I don't know. I never saw them before. Suppose it's a Martins. I'll let them in. You Silas Jenkins? Yes. I'm Ted Martin. This is my sister, Mary. How do you do? How'd you get here? Why, by canoe. Aren't you going to ask us in? Yes, yes, come in. You, uh, you don't have to be told why we're here, Mr. Jenkins. Uh, I'm Mike Torrance. It's too bad you're late. Well, what do you mean? That clock says five minutes of twelve. Oh, the clock is slow. Yeah, here's the right time. My watch. Five minutes past twelve. What does yours say, Silas? Uh, five minutes past, of course. It is too bad. That you should have come all this way for nothing. You're certainly proving that Tom Langdon was right. Right? That you're crooks, the pair of you. You've done everything in your power to keep us from getting here on time. And now that you've lost the game, you're still trying to cheat us. But we haven't lost. You'll find that out in court. I'll take a look at your watch, Jenkins. Uh, you haven't had time to set it ahead. Let go of me. There. Look at it, Mary. Five minutes out. We'll see what the court has to say to that. You're covered, mister. Oh, so you realize the bluff won't work. There was no one out in the street. No one who could have seen them come in here, Silas. Same thought occurred to me. What are you going to do? Kill us? You're going to disappear, young man. You and your sister. You'll never be heard of again. I wonder if you have the nerve to shoot. You'll find out when the right time comes. Can't do it here. Of course not. Take them down to the river. Now, come on, let's get started. We'd better not argue with that gun, Mary. Come on. Oh, well, hello, King. And the sergeant. Hey, sergeant. Fancy meeting you here. Sergeant Preston. Yes, Torrance. I'll take that gun. Sergeant, did you hear them? I heard everything. Torrance, you're under arrest, and so are you, Jenkins. What's the charge? I have no gun. You didn't hear me make any threat? Red Gunyon's in jail, and he's confessed that you and Torrance hired him. 
That makes you an accessory to attempted murder. Attempted murder, Langdon? Yes, but he's all right now. And there's also an item of conspiracy to defraud. Langdon's testimony will clinch that. Jenkins, you and Torrance are going to jail for a long, long time. This case is closed. In just a moment, Sergeant Preston will give you a preview of Friday's adventure. Fellas and girls, you all know that Yukon King is the greatest husky in the North Country. You know he's gentle yet strong, and always at his master, Sergeant Preston's side when danger threatens. But say, do you know what King really looks like? And wouldn't you like to have a beautiful full-color picture of King? And what's more, have it on a real stiff-backed trading card? Well, then, waste no time. Start today. Collect official challenge of the Yukon Dog Picture Cards. There are 35 different cards in all. Each features a famous breed of dog. Remember, you now get at no extra cost two. That's two of these dog picture cards inside each package of delicious Quaker puffed wheat and Quaker puffed rice. These cards are that easy to get. Save them, trade them, collect them all. Start now. Ask for Quaker Puff Wheat and Quaker Puff Rice. These radio dramas, a feature of the challenge of the Yukon Incorporated, are created and produced by George W. Trendle, directed by Fred Flowerday, and edited by Fran Stryker. The part of Sergeant Preston is played by Paul Sutton. They are brought to you every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the same time by Quaker Puff Wheat and Quaker Puff Rice. The breakfast cereal shot from guns. Listen Friday when Sergeant Preston and Yukon King meet the challenge of the Yukon in the case of the Skagway Mail. When the Skagway Mail sled pulled into the police post at Indian River, the driver was lying across the mail sacks, wounded and unconscious. In trying to find the men who had shot him, I had only one clue, an oddly marked footprint. It led me into a trap, a trap that nearly cost me my life. Be sure to hear this exciting adventure... Friday. Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Escape, followed by The Great Gildersleeve. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell and Paul Stringer for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.